I can just get into this, like I'm glazing over all the little daily activities because I think that there's some pot of gold at the end if I can just get there a little faster. And as soon as I slow down and know that like every single moment can be every single reach of my hand or step of my foot or word that I'm sharing with a friend is prime. It's like a prime moment to experience really gratitude and wonder. Movement of the physical body has always been a way to transmute and dance with my energy. My discovery of yoga amplified this process and brought my soul into the conversation. My discovery of breath and meditation brought my heart and mind into dialogue with one another. I hope to offer space for others to cultivate a greater harmony within themselves. My soul knows that personal evolution will lead to planetary evolution. I'm Brie Van Zutphen. And this is the Clarity and Calm podcast. Hi, everybody. I hope you are doing as well as you can be during this time. This is Brie Van Zetfin, your host and the creator of the Clarity and Calm podcast. So this week, I thought we'd touch on the process, my coaching method. So after launching this method and the corresponding coaching program, I wanted to touch on some of the things that are coming up for some of my clients. This week, a lot of what's coming up is that need to rush or speed up the process that we're currently going through. And this is kind of ironic because it takes as long as it takes. And when we try to rush the process of anything, really, we actually end up slowing down. It's kind of like when we take action that comes from like a sort of impulsiveness or force, and we end up having to actually take a couple steps back and reevaluate because we were moving just from this antsiness and need to move rather than from true deep understanding and self-inquiry. So what happened to me recently with this was I was overscheduling myself and kept forcing myself to move forward and move quickly when my body was just begging me to slow down and recalibrate. And I think that's a huge indicator is how do you feel in your body and are you pushing your body uh, beyond a level that even keeps it healthy and stable and regulated. So obviously when I was overscheduling myself, this was not sustainable. So I ended up almost getting sick and having to take more time off than I would have had I just been patient and listened to my natural rhythms. And it's like, how do we cultivate patience? And that's through the second step of the process, my coaching method, support. Support is absolutely essential. So I say this to you out there who wants everything to be happening now and when even a day feels like far away, it's important to cultivate patience. Dive deep into the support section of the process. Practice slowing down, meditating, deep listening so that when you move forward, it is sustainable and actually in a direction you want to be going in. It doesn't have to happen all today, all this moment. It is a process and it's bound to take the time needed for the perfect pace for your own evolution and growth. Everyone has their own pace. Do not measure your growth by the pace of someone else's growth. When we try to rush against our natural organic flow, we get injured, sick, depleted, more confused, more stressed. 
Give yourself the gift of truly slowing down and the permission to just be human. Don't be so busy trying to jump ahead that you train yourself always to miss out on your now. And that's really what was going on with me. I was overscheduling myself to the point of depletion. And then beyond that, I was so stressed out that I wasn't actually present for anything I was doing. And that's not what I want to be translated in my work. I want my work to have presence, to have the quality of ease and the quality of full awareness. And so we really miss out on that if we're trying to rush five steps ahead rather than just being in our now. So I hope that this was useful. If you all are interested in my three-month deep dive coaching program, please visit claritycom.com or shoot me an email and we can hop on a free 15-minute coaching call to see if it's a good good fit. Okay, now for today's episode. Oh my goodness, is it a good one? Let me introduce you to one of my very, very favorite dear friends, Allie. Allie is so full of life. And every time I talk to her, I feel like I can like fully exhale again. (laughs) I'm so grateful to have her as a friend and also that she agreed to share her insight on this week's episode of the Clarity and Calm podcast. So about Ali, Ali Scholz is a singer, songwriter, DJ, and producer completing her bachelor's degree in ethnomusicology at UCLA. After a career in musical theater, most notably starring in a Broadway production and national tour of Greece, she moved to Los Angeles in 2015 to pursue songwriting. Here in LA, her life has been an active balance of studying, writing, producing, and performing music, as well as DJing and teaching yoga. She is currently making music solo as well as with the electronic dance band Florisseur, and she is releasing an LP in spring 2021. Within the Department of Ethnomusicology, she intends to focus her study on dance, trance, and music as devotion. Welcome, Ali. So hi, everybody. I'm so excited for today's episode of the Clarity and Calm podcast. Today, we have my good friend, Ali, which is kind of crazy because Ali was the first guest I ever had when this was like a baby project that I didn't know how to do. I was in her bedroom and just like, please let me record you on my phone to try to get a podcast started. And so now that it's actually up and running, I wanted to have Ali back and have her on this episode because she just has so much wisdom to share and she's just phenomenally artistic and just an amazing human. So welcome, Ali. Thank you. That's the really sweet intro. So I always start off with just like, what is a lesson that's passing through you right now or a challenge you're coming up against that you're learning from? Okay, well, um, I would say the challenge is that I've, let's rephrase that. I've been noticing a tendency that I have, which is to think that I can plan major life events and kind of square away this whole calendar of 
when I get a certain job, when I move into marriage, when I have a child, these like big, big, bigger life plans. And in spending my time, like concocting how these are all going to kind of line up, it's just causing stress and a sense of like, things aren't right yet. So from practicing yoga, meditation, all these things that have served to keep me in the present moment, I can tell that I'm leaving the present moment with these pushed plans. And so I think the challenge now is just for me to, you know, it's the basics daily, like remember what I'm grateful for happening today. Remember all the opportunities I have to be exploring my creativity, my artistry, my community of classmates, um, at this, I'm in school right now. And just remember that everything is unfolding in the perfect timing, but I don't know if I'm alone. I probably am not alone in this like wide open, fast COVID time that feels kind of like formless and gooey. It feels like the instinct is to try to fill that up with order and letting go and just letting that vastness be filled with the little things that pop up that keep it surprising and fulfilling is what I'd like to do. So that, that's my challenge now is just letting the vastness stay vast and not put it down on a grid. I so resonate with that as a double Virgo. I try to plan like everything in my life to a T. And the funny part of that is I feel like we all want to experience the unknown and we all want to have faith and trust but then at the same time we try to control everything and figure everything out so that there's really no possibility of leaning into the unknown and kind of the adventure of life Mm -hmm. so when you're in those moments let's say when you're trying to like overly control or plan how do you break up that density in the mind It is the tried and true yoga practice, or for me, it really is like when I'm stuck in those brain circles and when my body is starting to absorb the stuckness with tension everywhere, it's either putting on a song and just moving my shoulders or like some form of dance or yoga where I focus on the breath or go for a walk. It is almost always the choice to do physical activity that liberates me from that craziness. Totally. Like bringing it into the body. Yeah. Like if I try to sit myself down for a meditation to treat that um, monkey mind, it's not going to work out so well. I first need to like iron out some of the kinks with just like like shaking it up and getting my heart rate up and yeah, feeling my Mm. body. Totally. That's super, super useful. So in the Clarity and Calm community, I started this coaching method called the process, which is basically four steps. It's identify, support, inquire, act. And so I kind of take people through this month-long process um, through all of my channels, but through a different theme every month. So February's theme is self-compassion. And I think that ties in with what you're saying, because so often when I'm being overly controlling or trying to manipulate something on top of that, I have a lot of like negative self-talk, like just let it go, Brie. Why can't you just like figure this out now? Like, let it go. Like you, you can be chill. You know how to be chill. Um, so I think I would just love for you to touch on like what self-compassion means to you and what that might look like in a moment like that. 
That's a great question. And I, I love your inner um, dialogue acted out. You can be chill. It's like a surfer, bro. It's okay. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Mine is more, I'll act out my little ego brain. Mine is like, oh, you should know all the answers to this because who would ever want to move forward with these steps in life if you're not 100% certain? So mine is like an obsession with certainty yeah. where when I can relax and be like, you know, I'm allowed to hold the pros and the cons, the yeses and the nos, the like gray area is going to have room to exist in me for a while. It doesn't have to be sorted out to black and white right away and allowing myself to just kind of like settle in that in between. Mm. And it reminds me of the Pema Chodron book, Living with Uncertainty and Change. Love it so much. Or the title, at least. I think I've only read glimpses of it. But um, yeah, there's like such a juicy relaxation that follows when I just decide to like allow the unfigured outness to stay there. So to me, that's self-compassion is like stopping the incredible effort of figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And it's easier said than done. I'm, I'm trying to think of like... Do I just let myself lay down and be in it? I don't know. Anyway, I know the end result, which is that it feels relaxing to not know the answer to things. Mm -hmm. And how I get there is usually first initiated by that movement. Totally. I've started to name the voice in my mind, Margie. So I'll just be like, Margie, like chill, chill out right now. Like, I don't need to hear you right now. Bree's good, but Margie, you can just. <laughs> I love that. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yeah. What would my little girl be called? Lisa. Lisa. <laughs> Lisa. Like a lizard, like Ellie, you don't deserve Ooh. this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, because like the nature of the mind is just to be the mind, which is like shifting moment to moment and like attaching to any one of those thoughts that not helping you is just it's self-harm in a way you know mm -hmm. so being able to see it as like oh this is just like what margie does <laughs> yes yes i know the ego is always like hang on one more thing one more thing it's not quite right oh don't go away yet let me tell you this yeah. and it's just trying to rob you of the did present you get moment. it did you get it <laughs> yeah i mean i i've heard people describe it as like a distraction. It's nothing more. It's nothing more evil than that. It's just distracting you from the freedom of who you are and what you are right now. Totally. And it is that. And when that Lisa voice is so entertaining, that distraction is so good. Totally. <laughs> what has your journey been with like loving yourself? I know that's a broad question, but like the journey of self-compassion, like how did you start to practice that and integrate that just into daily moments? I think when, okay, so when I started practicing and teaching yoga, that was like the first um, entree into that world of like self-love, feeling good, letting myself exist in that kind of limbo land of um, the present and trusting my body. But that was just the first layer. I think when it really uh, stepped into a way freer zone and happier, more joyful zone was when I did the daily practice of A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2014. And um, I had read Marianne Williamson's Return to Love 
and this uh, classmate of mine had an acting class that I was in and I was going to perform a, a, I did actually, I wrote and performed a one woman show about the ego versus the like real self. And she, my classmate was like, you know, if you're writing this kind of based on Marianne Williamson's book, you should read the real thing that she wrote A Return to Love about. And that's A Course in Miracles. I said, okay. So I checked it out and she invited me to a like book club, basically, where we would get together, talk about it, do the lessons. And when I woke up every day and read the lesson and did it first thing in the morning and practiced throughout the day, it was like 20 invitations a day to let go of Lisa. And like 20 <laughs> invitations a day to step into like, oh yeah, everything's actually okay. And more than okay, it's great. So I would say, yeah, to answer your question, that like that was the beginning of the real journey into at least recognizing freedom as opposed to the constraints of my mind. Mm -hmm. I love that because you also touch on just how much a daily practice and this like constant reminder of what it actually is helps you realize that throughout the day. Cause I, at least in my own life, sometimes if I don't have that touchstone, I get caught up in what it is without seeing it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know. In fact, when I also did the um, Ashtanga yoga, which was a daily practice and the Ashtanga yoga and the Course of Miracles, like first thing in the morning lesson served similarly as what you're describing, which was like later in the day, if I would be feeling like I'm kind of crazy today, like things are really getting under my skin more than usual, whatever it is that might be like getting me off kilter. I would look back and be like, oh, I didn't practice today. Or like, oh, I didn't do the lesson. And then it all made sense that that grounding wasn't there from the beginning of the day. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of like set up to be knocked around. Mm -hmm. And grounding on every level too, like being able to know what feels in your body, in your mind, like ground. I believe that's yeah. like the first step. Like yes. what is actually feeling, feeling centered or feeling grounded what is that actually like for me? And can I get familiar with it? So I know when I'm not there. This is a blessing for my day right now, Brie, because, I feel <laughs> but really, because now I'm like, yeah, okay. I haven't, I haven't done either of those practices in about two weeks yoga or course of miracles. Yeah. And look, it was two weeks of like the holidays, my boyfriend's birthday, my engagement. So I was like, yeah, giving myself permission to let go of them, but it never serves me to let go of them for so long because I forget what, what you're saying that like axis of, of my grounding experience. Yeah. I think also with that, you know, what that made me think of is sometimes I have the tendency to be like super rigid and disciplined with myself almost to a point where I can't let go of those practices, like I become controlling with the practices. And that's where self-compassion comes into play too, is that in and of itself is its own lesson. Like I'm not doing the practices in order to just have my practices, be good at my practices, control my practices. I'm doing the practices so I can live my life with more integrity and alignment. And that required a lot of self-compassion on my end, because if not, I'm just like, oh, you're not doing your practices. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. And it becomes another way to like beat myself up. 
Totally. And it reminds me of um, Earl Purdy, who's the Course in Miracles lecturer. He's super funny. If you've never heard of him, check him out on YouTube. He has like probably thousands of lectures where he's just going to crack you up. He has such a joyful energy too. Yes, he does. When you like spend an hour listening to him and you just realize you've been laughing for most of the time, that is such a good sign that you've gotten away from your Lisa or Margie. But but he always says, um, just ask yourself when you're doing whatever it is, whether it's a practice or taking on a new job or in a new relationship, like what is the purpose? What is it for? And if you can prioritize rather than the practice, if you can prioritize the purpose of seeking that feeling of grounding, of being the real you without all these floaty stressors around. It's like the most peaceful version of you. That's the purpose of the practice. And if it's not serving that purpose anymore because it's become about the practice instead, then you know, something's got to shift. Totally. And that's the incentive for practicing in the first place is like the, why do I need this practice and what does it offer me? And then can I actually use the practice for what it's intended for, which is life. Hmm. Mind blown. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I took this um, yoga philosophy class at the beginning of COVID where the teacher is a PhD Uh, yoga philosophy teacher up in Canada. And um, he taught the yoga sutras and it was intended for people who are practicing or teaching yoga. So not just the philosophical analysis, but how to employ it into your daily life or, or invite it into your daily life. And that's what it was all about. He was like, look, you're using this so that everything in your life becomes easier. Decision making, how to care for your loved ones, how to be cared for, how to show up with consistency, whatever it is. It's like, it applies to just the daily moments. Totally. Yeah. I used to use like even the yoga practice as a way to just practice my bad patterning in a particular shape. (laughs) Like it was kind of just like, I was moving my body, which is great. Yes. The health of the body, but like all of my bad patterns were still in my shape, like all of my control, all of my need for perfection, all of like the not enough would be in like my warrior too. And so it's like, if we're not doing the practice in the practice, Mm. then the practice in and of itself is not of benefit. Yes. I know. (laughs) Same with making music. I've found that like you know, I'll practice guitar scales or I'll be writing a song and coming up with a melody or recording the melody and can forget that the whole reason I'm doing it is to share something that should be giving levity either to myself or someone else, like levity, joy, healing. And then I, instead I start to get a little bit focused on like the perfect um, expression of it. So it's, it's, yeah, the first step, what you're saying is like knowing what your grounding is how to recognize when you've gotten off of it. And I guess it's the same for my yoga practice and music making is like, okay, let's catch yourself when you step away from the purpose. I love that because you also touched on like what goes in is what comes out of it. Like if you're bringing all you're bringing into your practice is like a need to be perfect in my case, then you're going to just end up with that 
result if you're not if that's what your practice is like what you're practicing is is what you'll end up with (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and like you said like the levity that you put in being able to actually access that as you're practicing it embody it practice it so that that's what people receive (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) which brings me to my next question we kind of already covered it but how to start to cultivate compassion in daily action. Like moments where there's negative self-talk and you're like, okay, how do I soften this negative self-talk or how do I start to cultivate it in these small daily moments that I don't know about you, but are for me like every couple of minutes. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) totally. I think... That's a great question. I mean, I, I do think it's just a matter of like breathing, feeling your feet on the floor as you're pouring the glass of water or it, for me, it's taking away any sense of rush or like I can just get into this, like I'm glazing over all the little daily activities because I think that there's some pot of gold at the end if I can just get there a little faster. And as soon as I slow down and know that like every single moment can be every single reach of my hand or step of my foot or word that I'm sharing with a friend is prime. It's like a prime moment to experience really gratitude and wonder. Mm. I heard somebody say, actually it might've been Earl Purdy again, that like when you're feeling guilt, which is the ego's go-to, that the most opposite vibration is another G word and that's gratitude. And if you can go there and just practice getting there, it like obliterates the low vibration of guilt. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I like what you said, everything you said, I like everything you say, but particularly (laughs) just like feet on floor or like this glass of water, because sometimes there's this tendency at least I know that I have to be like, well, you should be grateful. And so because you should be grateful, just start to list all of these things that you don't actually feel grateful for in the moment, even though like I could get there eventually, but sometimes I'll Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, so you're grateful for, and like the big, the heavy hitters, like your family, your husband, duh, duh. And sometimes it's just like feet on floor, yeah, body breathing, this glass of water. Mm-hmm. And your face right now in front of me smiling, like yeah. animated and like whatever's in front of you that's, I know, it's cool to really slow down. I'm looking around at my desk. I see a beautiful picture of my mom, this fancy mm. gold bag that I got a ring in. <laughs> not, not this ring, but yeah, just like seeing all the things around you that you've somehow attracted into your space, you mm. know, totally. And knowing that that's a reflection of like, love that you've invited in totally and who you are at this moment in time and like how beautiful is that I had this moment recently where I realized that I couldn't remember a huge chunk of my past because I wasn't present for it like there was just so much anxiety and so much like stress that I wasn't actually present for a huge chunk of my life And after I realized that, I was like, one, holy shit, two, that's kind of depressing. But three, 
<laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it was also, I'm just laughing at myself. Three, I had to list it out like true Virgo style. One, uh, two, uh, three. <laughs> what were you listing? What happened during that time? No, I was just listing like what my, my realization was, was just that like, not Mm -hmm. only is it sad that I wasn't able to remember a huge chunk of my life because I wasn't present, but also I didn't want to recreate that. And presence can simply be like feet on floor, seeing your face, drinking a glass of water, and I'll be able to recall that moment because I've actually been there for it. (laughs) And, you know, which is obvious, but it's, if you actually reflect, or when I actually reflected on my life, I was like, there's so many moments where I was trying to get somewhere or where I was caught up in some thought and engaging with it and overly attached to it that I wasn't able to see your face in front of me or like to like be aware that I was drinking a glass of water. (laughs) I know it does make you laugh when you all of a sudden realize like, oh, there's a tiny little hand in me that has, as soon as you said a thought that you've been overly attached to, we do carry like three or so that you're like, but that one I'm really concerned about. And I should keep thinking about that till I get to the bottom of it. It's like, oh, when I let go though, this little hand of grasping in me in my heart or soul or brain or wherever, let's go. It, it does invite this laughter of like, oh, it's almost an out of control thrill. Yeah. It's that can space. occur. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that that initiates like a, a laughter of like, Oh, whoa. It's yeah. pretty funny. Oh, oh this <laughs> life. It's such a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. And I want to do that as many times a day as I can. Mm, yes. Yes. I had, um, I was talking to someone recently and they were saying like, you know, I'm not trying to give you advice, but I'm going to give you advice. (laughs) And they said, you know, put yourself in as many situations as like you can that make you feel uncomfortable, not uncomfortable to the point of like, you know, fear of survival, but uncomfortable in the situation where you feel like you don't have control over it. Because so many of our, our thoughts in this grasping is like, let me try to control this life in every way shape or form so when we go into new situations it feels like what you just described where you're like whoa what's going on yeah because it's actually just life life without the kind of clutching of the mind and that's really the what i was describing is not necessarily putting myself in a new situation but literally the tiniest act of just letting go of one of those overly clingy thoughts feels like i'm giving up life as i know it which Mm -hmm. In the moment, it's like, oh, no, I'm giving up every the way I see everything. And then it's like, well, fuck, yeah, I want to give up the way I see everything because it's totally. not giving me happiness this way. Don't you feel like a lot of that has it has to do with like getting comfortable with space? That makes space makes me so uncomfortable. I mean, I'm working on it. I'm working on it in the sense that I'm working. I'm not working. Right. <laughs> yes, know? yes, yes. Uh, totally. But- I know. Yeah. It, it actually makes me so much more comfortable once I let it happen. Obviously uh, that goes without saying, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, it, it all has to do with space. And this has come up recently in conversations with um, some of my close relationships <laughs> about like allowing space for things in terms of conversation, like be quiet as you 
allow someone's story. As you allow someone's story to unfold um, in front of you, that you don't have to like respond with your own interpretation of it or your own version of the story. It's like a true listening totally. is letting go of how you might perceive someone to express themselves and like listen as if you've never understood what they're describing before. And, and to me, that's space too. Yeah, speaking right, of ahead. not giving you the space. <laughs> no, no. no, but I just noticed that so much with like, if you're not familiar with your, or if I'm not familiar with my own process, then it's really hard for me to hold space for other people. Like if I don't offer space to myself, then how can I begin to offer that to other people? And then when I don't offer it to other people, I'm not allowing them to basically be who they are. I'm like mm. demanding the processing that I need myself, like get this done in time, figure it out now on someone else then I'm projecting it on someone else. And that just becomes really challenging because then it's like, it, it's again, not organic. I know there's so much amazing. There's so many amazing surprises in the organic unfolding of things. And how many times I've robbed myself of those organic unfoldings is a shame knowing what spectacular little gems are just waiting there to be like showered upon us if we just pause and listen and make space for it i i'm in the habit of just plowing through on a snowplow like, <laughs> totally when i was like younger and still even now like i had a lot of social anxiety so every conversation was like i i can't leave empty space like i don't i can't leave empty space because I, you know, all of the limited things, like maybe I'm not good at socializing or what are people going to perceive me on? All those things, yada, 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 Margie, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started to just like give space, so much more was revealed. Like, and it seems so obvious, but so much more was revealed. And in conversations, even with my husband, when I'm like, I actually need time with this one. Like, I don't have an answer for you mm. right now, or I don't know how to articulate my needs or what all of this right now, because mm. I'm still in the process. It allowed things to just have breathing room so that they could express themselves how they organically would. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got to say, even just talking to you about this, there's something in my chest that's like uh, relaxing. <laughs> it's crazy that if you Same. don't, take time to cultivate that, like that relaxation, take the space to just let it relax into remembering that it doesn't have to produce something right now. Mm -hmm. the, alter the alternative is to always be producing something. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of this Bob Dylan line um, that I'm in a poetry class right now. And my teacher brought this up in our first meeting, um, his lyric, if you're not busy being born, you're busy dying. Mm, I love that. And it's like, if you're not busy, not busy, but if you're, if you're not devoted to making the moment spacious and allowing for things to fall in, then you're doing the opposite. You're filling it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And also just because you decided something in your mind does not mean that life plays it, itself out with your decision the next day. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always a shock, isn't it? You're yeah. like, wait a sec. I told you that I wanted this to happen. I feel like I'm like, is that going to be how it is for the rest of my life? Like every time I'm shocked that it's not there the next moment. I'm like, wait, what? I was talking <laughs> about, I was talking to this, to you for about five minutes ago and it's not here I yet. Know. I know. Oh yeah. So I would love to touch on, <laughs> I could go on all day. I would love to touch on how you bring your relationship with compassion and just learning kind of the self-love that goes into like really cultivating a relationship with yourself into your teaching. Hmm. I mean, I think step one is slowing down and it's like taking the deep breath in front of my students to give a visual of what it looks like and the sound that it makes and the time that it takes to do that. And in doing so, I think it gives the room, the space and like an example of how they can do that themselves. And it does just like quiet things. And in the quiet, I think that's when we become compassionate with ourselves because you have the time to listen. And I really think compassion is mostly just listening. It's giving someone a chance to tell you something that they're feeling or thinking that you haven't heard before. You know? Yeah. So I was just I think letting it's that. it letting it <laughs> land and wash through me. Yeah. Cause when we talk about, you know, if we zoom way out and address like social issues in our country or in the world, and then talk about like having compassion for the people who haven't had things as easily as we have, the oppressed people who have undergone atrocities and, and the compassion for them is really listening, is like taking the time to hear a story that's wildly different from your own. And if it's directed at yourself, then it's taking the time to hear a story that's different from the one you're chattering away at all day. Yeah. So when I teach the yin yoga class is probably the place where people do the most self, um, self acceptance, unfolding, being compassionate with themselves by taking the time to set up the pose with the support they need to like release layers and layers and layers of holding so that they can meet themselves in that softened place of the posture, but it's also the psyche, I think, and the spirit settling in to stillness. Mm. Yeah. So I guess to answer your question, when I teach it, it, it comes through me most easily in yin yoga and I think it's because that's what I need. And so the lesson I've learned from that slowing down, um, it's it's most easy for me to teach that because it's what's worked for me. Yeah. Hmm. Do you find that now you're at a place where you're able to offer yourself that without thinking that you should be doing like another practice? Hmm. No, I thought, well, 
wait, I, I think I can just do a yin practice and be satisfied when I'm in that mood, but it's usually when I'm in a mood of feeling tender and like I need some self-compassion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't yet have the practice where I'm doing it twice a week or three times a week as just a, I would love actually to invite that into my life as a sort of um, externally applied, at least in the beginning, practice of slowing down. Mm-hmm. I sort of only arrived there for myself when I've like reached my limit with something. Totally. Similarly, which is so interesting, like I would like to be able to do that before I'm at the limit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, well, shifting gears slightly, I would love to touch on just how self-compassion or self-love or even just a relationship with yourself, however you perceive it, this deep listening influence, influences and affects creativity or how you use it in your creative process? Um, okay. So funny enough, I've, I spent a lot of the summer doing um, music in Nashville and then here in California. And I've been writing solo music and then I have a project with my partner. Um, but what comes to mind when you ask me that instead of music making is uh, a paper that I wrote for a class that I'm in at UCLA. And I was just feeling up against this like writer's block, not knowing what argument to make on this topic. It was actually, I told you about it. It was about the Sufi practitioners, um, the whirling dervishes and the Sufi uh, sect called the Mevlana order. And I think why I felt Uh, overwhelmed by writing about this is because I'm actually very deeply moved by their practice. It's a physical practice that they do to reach their higher power and explore the mystical loving side of spirit. And so I was like pushing to come up with a, a spin on this and how to make my paper be original, which is to me as it's very similar to my creativity and songwriting. Um, where I'm like, I have to make this original. I have to make this original. And I was trying to like force that so hard that I just got tired and I laid down on my bed and kind of surrendered to just like doing nothing for a little bit and basically surrendered to not knowing. I was like, I don't know what I want to say about this that's unique. And as soon as I laid down, I didn't take a nap, but I just closed my eyes and like stopped trying to generate something. And then it dawned on me like a light bulb what was interesting to me about these people's practice and their devotion to their higher power. And um, I wound up writing a paper about the paradox of form, of how they employ form to reach formlessness and like very distinct and specific form of prayer, of movement, so that they can kind of use that as their structure to then find the formless. And that clicked with me as something really interesting that I wanted to write about. So I guess, yeah, the, the creative element came in when I gave up Mm. and the compassion was giving myself a break to get away from the laptop, to lay down, to just like look out the window at the sky and just kind of be carried by the moment. And and I gave up the wheel a little bit. Yeah. Mm. 
That always happens to me when I'm sleeping. It does. <laughs> it's always just like when I'm like, okay, what's this going to be? Or what do I want to write about now? And, and I'll start like writing and I'll be like, okay, start, make something magnificent. You are mm-hmm. brilliant. Just go bring out the brilliance now. And then I'll go to bed and I will wake up and can't go to sleep. And I'm like, just writing, like, not mm. which isn't good for my sleep cycle, but it's totally, <laughs> totally resonate with what you say, where it's like, my mind has finally relaxed enough. My ego has finally relaxed enough for just whatever needs to come forward to come forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost felt like I was like being lazy. That was my mind when I, when I laid down and was like, "You're gonna give up right now and just lay down," and it's like the only thing I could do. And yeah, yeah, I want to be able to get to the point where I set a time to do something, and I actually have been well practiced in. I don't know how to say it like soothing my own system and my nervous system and calming my mind that I can actually be created creative in a certain context Mm. and form but Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not there yet I usually need to like completely do what you're saying which is like relax lie down go to bed like and then something can come through but I think there's also what you're saying with like form and formlessness like being able to create form even in like a a time period in the day to be creative. Mm -hmm. And then just knowing that like, I've been well-practiced and getting out of my own way for that creativity to to come forward or to access that formlessness in the container of form, which might be like two hours. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I think when I have set up those um, structures, like when I did go to Nashville for a month and, Every day I would like do a walk at a certain hour and then I would sit in the studio for a certain hour. I would play guitar for certain hours. And there were some days that felt like I was just like showing up and having nothing exciting come out of me. Like the inspiration wasn't there, but it was kind of building this trust muscle that I would show up when I said I would. And that no matter whether something awesome came out uh, of my writing fingers or singing lips, I would still like, trust that I'd show up and and then every fourth day or so something cool would come out (laughs) totally and showing up like proving to yourself that you can show up for yourself is an act of self-love like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel good to not show up for myself it doesn't Mm. feel good to be like I want to do this I've carved out time but instead I'm not going to so true it feels so good I mean Look, it is the oldest lesson in the book of making a to-do list. But when I do that of like 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning, go for a walk, 9.30 to 10.30, do my yoga. And and I, I can let them shift around a little bit. But when I mostly adhere to those, like, they're not goals. It's practices that I know make me feel good. I feel great by the end of the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you said, you know that they make you feel good rather than them just being like, the words on the page that you get a check off being like, Oh, I'm acknowledging that this is something that I'm choosing to carve out time for because it makes me feel good. Yes. Doing it for the sake of doing it rather than to get something out of it. Yes. That's like the perfect way to say that. (laughs) 
I can't take credit for that. The the teacher Shyam Ranganathan is his name, the professor that he said that. I know. I'll write it down. Please do. Um, I'll I'll add it in the show notes after you write it because I would have no way to attempt writing that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. He, he would point that out. He's like, yeah, yoga is something you do for the sake of doing it. It's not to like get the benefits. And that applies to practicing guitar. You like find yourself enjoying the moment of doing those scales. It's not for some later date that you're going to be happy you put in the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I do my, my new coaching method, when I was thinking about it, I was like, the last step is aligned action. But there's so much that comes before aligned action. Like if you're just taking action, but you haven't actually gone through the process of like what this makes me feel, why I want to do this, uh, finding clarity as far as like, where are you going with this? What does this add to your life? Supporting yourself, all of those things. Then the action in and of itself is kind of meaningless. It's almost like taking you a step away from where you actually truly desire to go but if you don't know where you want to go then it's really hard to take a step in the right direction Mm -hmm. which is also a time to practice self-compassion isn't those moments where you don't know where to go and you just Mm -hmm. say i'm just going to pick a practice something to like every day as an experiment see what happens if i do this every day Mm -hmm. totally yeah yeah (laughs) so I'd love for you to share just like what you're working on now I know you're doing like 20 million things but just well not really actually I've sort of whittled it down a little bit um it's funny I I teach yoga usually when it's not COVID and I have a couple private clients right now um and I have a pair of yoga pants that I designed about seven years ago that throughout the seven years have just continued to sell. They're amazing. (laughs) They're amazing. I'll link them below. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Um, So that's, you know, my company that I call Valley Wellness. That's like the uh, health, wellness, and fashion. But that's not really my focus now. And, And after I made a website for it, it was like as soon as the website was up and done, I was like, okay. And not moving on, but I was like, that's there. I've set it up. It's like, I've assembled my team in a sense so that if people like will benefit from those services and those products, amazing. I'm there to serve, but I have stopped pushing that. So what I'm focused on now is I'm in school at UCLA for ethnomusicology, which is the study of music, but through the lens of anthropology and cultural uh, influences and also how music has influenced certain places, culture. So um, that is taking up the bulk of my time. And it's so fun to devote myself to just expanding my knowledge um, of history. Ooh, sorry about that. History, um, like different musics from around the world, different social theory, social theory I've never studied, which is like, you know, how people interact and why, and why certain social structures are there and who it's serving, who it's not serving. So it's a fascinating time to be studying that. I love it, but um, I also do write music. So I've been, you know, in the breaks that I have from school, working on lyrics that I've written with Alex, my fiance, 
who um, we have two projects actually. One is called Floricere. And then another one that we have with our friend Richard is called Gotcha. And we have like 20 songs for Floricere that we've whittled down to six. And now I'm just kind of finessing and refining the lyrics for those. So that definitely is going to require some of that, like letting go for an hour, laying on the bed, not having to arrive at the perfect lyric. And it takes, it takes time for me in my process of writing lyrics to kind of let it unfold to a place where I'm certain that it's clear, but it still has some of that poetic ambiguity. <laughs> so that's basically what I'm working on now is school and then finishing um, a lot of the lyrics and like final production elements of this Floricere EP that we're hoping to put out like probably end of spring. And I have not um, let go of my devotion to writing my own music, which is kind of a folkier, um, more singer songwriter. I don't know how else to describe it, but that like a solo project. Um, and so I think right now I, I need to actually figure out Brie, what you were talking about, which is like setting the hours and the time to show up for myself for that. And even if it's just an hour a day of hanging out with that part of myself, that singer songwriter, folk storyteller, um, soulful side, because that really nourishes my soul and feels like an act of self-compassion and an act of listening. So I think actually you've inspired me in this conversation to like map out on a calendar an hour each day that I can spend with that part of me. You have so many amazing things going on. <laughs> and the funny part was, is I was gonna say, you inspired me because one of the things I've always loved about you is that you're able to give weight to all of the aspects of self that you are. Like you've been able to dive into so many different areas of your life and bring them into like the physical plane and not just be like, I have to stick to this one area of doing. You're like, all aspects of myself get to be like seen and heard and expressed mm. in my life. And I just really admire that. And I learned so much from you in that, in that way. Thank you. Because I really, I take that in and appreciate that acknowledgement. But the other side of the coin is me looking out, like, look at these people who just stay focused on their one thing at a time and they excel at it. And like, maybe I should just pick one thing at a time, but it's not in my nature to like, it would feel like I'm lopping off a limb. <laughs> Although I am happy to give up the um, right now temporarily, it's not giving it up, but it's just like setting it on the back burner, the Bally wellness site that doesn't feel like the priority right now, right now feels like creativity and educational expansion. Yeah. I always ask myself, like, what aspect of my soul is the most demanding right now? Hmm. Like, most longing to be heard. And then I'm like, okay, okay, I'll hear you. But I got, yeah. I got a bunch of other things I'm working on, but I'll hear you right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh. I would love to ask for the last kind of question kind of question, meaning actual question, just any, <laughs> any other nuggets of wisdom that you would want to share or that you have found so useful and instrumental in your life now or ever? 
Hmm. Yes. I think it is the biggest lesson I've taken away from A Course in Miracles, which is this prayer, so to speak, saying, um, I'm willing to see this differently. And that is kind of what I invite into my meditation. You know, sometimes I sit down and I start like reaching outwards with these messages and prayers and asking for things. And then as soon as I just say, I'm willing to see things in a new way and I'm willing to see myself and the people around me in a new way and get entirely quiet and welcome those downloads. Um, that's what makes me feel fueled to create. It's what makes me feel generous in spirit with my friends and family and partner. It's what makes me feel like I've forgiven myself. It's like an active kind of wiping the slate clean of how I perceive myself and thus perceive others. And that's been the main thing that's allowed me to, it's forgiveness really when you say, on a new way of seeing this, I'm forgiving my idea of how I think it is. And it's the one thing that lets me off the hook of misery. <laughs> Good old misery. Yeah. And it works. Good old misery and Lisa and Margie just gotten <laughs> away. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Allie. Sure. I hope that made sense and was succinct enough, but that that's the prayer. It was absolutely perfect. Okay. Thank you for being here and being on the podcast for the second time. Thank <laughs> you for having episode. me. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Clarity and Calm podcast. Thank you to my guest, Ali Scholes. I love you, dear friend. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your light. If you're interested in my coaching program or just want to try out a free sample of my offerings, visit claritycom.com. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, or share it with someone who could benefit. Talk to you guys next week. Take care, be kind to yourselves, and sending so much love. <laughs>